0: Just go to Indeed.com/slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire.
1: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye
2: with me as always Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? Not too bad, Nick. The playoffs are rapidly coming towards us.
1: Yeah, it feels kind of weird. A week without Nets basketball, but we have the playoffs this weekend. We're gonna jump into some mailbag questions. Before we do that, quick reminder you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Also goes follow on Instagram at Brooklyn BuzzPod. But Jack, where do you want to start?
2: Well, let's start with some semi-playoff-related uh, stuff. We've got some really good questions, and thank you to everyone that took the time to to respond. And we might touch on some other playoff stuff if we do have a little bit of time as well. But from Joe underscore Martin13, our Joe Money McCarr, he asked a couple of questions. This first one we'll tackle first. What result against the Sickers would you, would you consider a successful run for the Nets? I saw Doug Norrie of Locked On Nets put this one out, and I actually saved it to my notes because I wanted to bring it to you as well, Nick, if we didn't have any uh questions and to respond to but thankfully we do what would you consider quote-unquote successful
1: yeah i mean you look at last year the nets didn't win one playoff game you know this season they win one playoff game that's an improvement and i think given the results of this season and what happened at the trade deadline if they're able to win a playoff game or two i would consider that a success if they're able to push it to six or seven i would be very happy And obviously, if they won the series, I'd be ecstatic. But I think a success would just be a level of improvement. And also, you know, some of the players in that series, a la Mikel Bridges, Nick Claxton, showcasing that next step, not just in the regular season, but in the postseason. As you and I have talked about, postseason basketball is not regular season basketball. And as I think Draymond Green has said, there's 82 game players and there's 16 game players. And we want to see if Mikel and Clax are those guys.
2: Yeah, and even the role players to an extent. You want to see, probably to a lesser extent, Cam Johnson, DFS, these sort of guys, Royce O'Neal continue to improve, and maybe, you know, a Cam Thomas, maybe a Dayron Sharp. These sort of guys give you glimpses of something. So I think this is the notion of what is success is like a, a question you could speak about for days in so many different yeah. forms, but we're not going to go there. I think as you said, Nick, I'd love, I'm more focused on like the process overall. I don't want to sweep. I think it'd be nice to get a win just to be like, well, we were better than the Katie Kyrie playoffs last year, just for that sort of, I don't know, internal bragging, right? Would be kind of nice. But I, I think the big thing, and I've said this, you know, for a very long time, ever, ever since the trade be, began, it's about Mikhail, it's about Clax, it's about to electric accept the two cams and how they can show off and their development. And in the playoffs, you get a rare chance to showcase yourself against higher end competition. The game slows down, the lights are brighter, and I've got a, a good feeling about Clax because he's already done it a little bit. His free throw shooting was a little bit poor last year, but I was very, very happy with how he performed against Boston last year. And Mikhail Bridges has done it, you know, in lesser extents in Phoenix as well. So these guys have a little bit of playoff experience. It's it's not like they're going in with, you know, complete inexperience, and you know, it's like the Sacramento Kings uh, to an extent. These guys have got the the time there, and this will probably hold them in good stead for what is going to be a pretty a pretty tough run to to get the wins on the board, let alone a series win. But if they can perform well, they can do things that will could lead to a win, as we spoke about at the end of our preview pod. Then I'll be happy.
1: Yeah, I think for Mikel, it's really how can you deal with a game plan that's focused on you. You know, in Phoenix, as you mentioned, he has the experience. He's been to the finals, but it was as a complementary player. Now you're one of the key cogs that's leading this offense. And Philly's talked about slowing him down. I think Tyrese Maxey had a quote of saying, like, we need to make sure he sees bodies when he catches the ball. So it's going to be a different level of pressure. Um, obviously, Karis LeVert and Mikael Bridges are not the same player, but it kind of reminds me of that bubble season where the Nets faced the Raptors. And Karis was seeing a ton of bodies that he's probably never seen in his NBA career and he had to adjust and you really saw his assist numbers kick up maybe that could be the case for Mikel but also it's going to be important for other guys to step up a la cam johnson who we've talked about has really shown flashes of being able to create a little bit for himself with those pull-up jumpers and also facilitate a touch it might be time for him to take that next step in the postseason because the nets just might need it because then we know philly's going to focus on Mikel we know they're going to probably focus on spencer dorian finney smith cam johnson royce o'neill potentially you know cam thomas seth curry joe harris you guys are going to have to really hit those shots and make the sixers pay
2: yeah it's going to be a collective effort you know a lot of people when i threw out the, the tweet the other day what's the most important factor three-point shooting defense those are the things that really did seem to stick out uh stopping drill and bead was another sort of one things that we discussed on the pod but i want to give the quote from mikhail bridges uh, also on cam johnson before i get to the a little bit of mikhail bridges quote about the whole drafting thing uh, again via eric slater Cam Johnson, if he performs well this postseason, it's gonna mean a payday for him. Yeah. And that's that that's why there's probably elevated importance for him individually to really show out. If he has a, a lackluster series, which I don't, I think he might have maybe an inconsistent game here or there, but he hasn't been lackluster as a net so far, so I don't expect that. You know, it could earn him an extra two, three, four, five million dollars. So it's a year. it's almost yeah, A year, like it's extra weight, extra importance for him, whether it's from an opposing team or the nets themselves. So if Cam J can show out, it's going to mean millions and millions of dollars in the paycheck.
1: Yeah. It really could be the difference between an $80 million contract and a $100 million contract, especially if he like balls out and has one of those series where, you know, with three point shooters hitting 45% because he's one of the guys that they're giving less attention to, you know, if you're focusing on Mikhail Spencer and even clacks on his roles, DFS and Cam Johnson are gonna be the guys that can make plays and step up. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Before we get on to another question, I'll get to some of Joe's ones later. I want to stick to the, the playoffs one first before we get to some more general questions, which we also do love talking about. Mikhail Bridges, when he was on the CJ McCollum podcast, talked about you know being drafted, quote unquote drafted and traded by the Sixers. That was the biggest thing all of my senior year was Philly has the 10th pick. They'll be dumb if they don't get Mikhail. It was just set up for me to go home. I walk out of there. And they told me in the news, and I was literally pissed off. It took me days after to be appreciative of the moment. I was pissed off that whole night. I didn't go out. I stayed in my hotel room. I was that mad. I don't think he's holding anything against it because Mikael Bridges doesn't seem to be that guy that holds grudges. But there's something in the back of his head that I think is gonna a little make it a little bit extra spicy, a little bit extra seasoning, a bit of Cajun, if you will, if you will, Nick.
1: Yeah, I think chip uh, chip on your shoulder is a great thing especially going to a playoff series. I think all of the all-time greats have a chip on their shoulder. LeBron creates, you know, fake narratives for himself to continue. Was,
2: yeah, MJ did for yeah. the, the whole last dance.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's what great players do. And I think he'll use that as motivation. And on that podcast, he mentioned how, like, he was in the the press room and he knew all the media because of, you know, growing up in Philly. And so it's really going to be interesting to see how he performs in Philadelphia. And part of me thinks that he could have just an amazing series because of that extra level of motivation and even that extra level of comfort of playing in your hometown.
2: Definitely. There's uh, all the little factors uh, are pointing towards a a big Mikhail Bridges game and hopefully series. So we'll see how that does pan out. Nick, we didn't chat a heap about the rotation on the podcast, despite speaking for nearly over (laughs) over an hour, but we can have a little bit of a chat now because uh, at Mike underscore NYY asked, who would you rather see get minutes first? Cam Thomas or Seth Curry? Now we alluded to Seth Curry a little bit, I put out Cam Thomas on on my Twitter. This isn't just a self-promotion sort of thing. I just wanted to do more deep dives to be more researched, more prepared for for this podcast, as well as, you know, game one, game two, game three. In that February 11 matchup, Cam Thomas was good, Nick.
1: Yeah. And he was still kind of in rhythm from his big shooting performances. You know, that was a week after he dropped, you know, 43 straight games. And even in that Chicago game and Spencer and Dorian Finney Smith's first game, Cam was able to contribute in a positive way. And, My biggest worry with Cam right now is the way that Vaughn has handled his minutes and his role that it could disrupt his play because he's kind of been all over the place in terms of, you know, shot allocation and just
2: overall usage. Yeah, for me, just to go back to that game, he had 14 points in 18 minutes and he led the team alongside Joe Harris in scoring in the final quarter. The Nets could not get a bucket other than Joe Harris threes or Cam Thomas doing Cam Thomas things. So, And I think if, it was a big narrative that game that he
1: didn't close.
2: Yeah, and I think that that's something where, look, I think Seth Curry is likely to get the minutes. There's It's him. Uh, he has the, the trust of Jacques Vaughn, that sort of veteran, sort of savvy, the presence, and look go to the stats from our last episode you know they are elevated and efficient as hell when Seth goes against his former team you know in a lot of ways there's that sort of you know back of your head sort of thing we were alluding to with Mikael Bridges but I hope that there is you know we heard Jacques Vaughn sort of say that he's willing to be a bit experimental and you know there's a few quotes that I was actually happy to hear from him about how he wants to handle this series I hope that includes you know just going you know what Cam go out there for 10 minutes. See if you can put up five shots and go four or five from the field. You can't, you're coming off. I want there to be a, just don't be afraid to go 11 deep rather than just eight deep.
1: Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting. And I think there's going to be, uh, games in this series where the nets are having troubles and they're going to need to get creative and they're going to need to experiment, you know, and there's going to be other games where things are rolling and Vaughn keeps the rotation to seven or eight. But I think like you mentioned, there's going to be opportunities to really test things out. And, Seth Curry is a really good playoff performer. You know, uh, looking at his career playoff stats, and we saw what he did last year in Boston, other than his defense, but averages almost 12 points a game, shoots over 52% from the field and 47% from three. In the last two postseasons, he shot over 50% from three. So he could really be a boost off the bench. We know how bad he is defensively, but if he's playing with the other, you know, four good defenders in the net's rotation. Maybe that could be enough to balance it out. It's going to be really interesting to see how Vaughn plays the rotation. I think it's almost a mystery to me because it's kind of been a mystery over the last month of the season.
2: Yeah, what we've seen is the starting five will get you 35 minute plus, 35 minutes plus, except for Clax, who seems to get like 32 for some reason. I want that number to be 35 plus. Match-up Are they beat- going to get... Yeah, like, and look, Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, these guys are 27, 28 years old. They're ready to play 40, 41 minutes. You know, DFS will be doing that. Royce, I expect to get 30, 35 minutes. It'll be about the remaining, you know, minute allocation. Who does it go towards? You know, I was... When I threw it out there, I just I just don't know. Like, is Joe Harris going to be that guy? Is Yuta Watanabe going to be that guy? I've had people saying sort of my DMs and in my responses, like we said in the last part, Edmund Sumner, give him five minutes to just make life hell for James Harden. Like, there's just a lot of options. Sometimes options can be a good thing. And sometimes that can be a detriment to how you want to have something sort of solidified and just go, cool, we're ready to go. Let's do this. I I think it's just going to be, is it a glass half full or glass half empty mentality from Jacques Vaughn?
1: Yeah, I think also the issue is a lot of the players off the bench are around the same caliber. So it's hard to kind of dictate, you know, who's substantially better than another player with the starters we kind of know and like you mentioned you know I definitely expect Mikel to play over 40 Spencer's already played over 40 in a couple games since he's rejoined the Nets Cam Johnson definitely should play over 40 Dorian Finney Smith I think his minutes could be a little bit dictated by his three-point shooting you know if he's shooting really poorly Royce might see more minutes than him you know clacks other than foul trouble he should be on the court a ton so it's there's not going to be a ton of minutes to fight for unless things go bad and the Nets need some type of spark. And some of these guys could definitely bring a spark. And we talked about variation against Joel Embiid. I think, obviously, the Nets are less talented than the Sixers, so even variation in game plans, you know, where maybe in Game 1 and Game 2 they have a certain rotation. In Game 3, Vaughn is going to throw in Sumner, and now he's going to just press hard in the entire game and kind of drive him nuts. I think there has to be a lot of creativity if the Nets want to have any chance of winning this series or pushing it to seven.
2: Yeah, and this is where you see, you know, a coach really sort of show what he has in his bag. And that's an opportunity for Jacques Vaughan. We've had our criticisms and as well as our praise for him throughout moments as his tenure as, a, as the Nets head coach. He's got the security now of the long-term sort of contract. Show us some stuff. Show us what you got. And look, against the Doc Rivers, Doc Rivers isn't Eric Spolster or prime Greg Popovich or, you know, Phil Jackson or whatever. Like, I I don't necessarily expect to see Doc Rivers. You know, he's very sort of like, you know, not rigid. Not to say that, like, you know, Doc Rivers has a championship. So at the end of the day, you know, he has that. He's more
1: of a motivator than an X's and O's guy sometimes it feels like.
2: Yeah, and some of his rotations can be left to, a little bit to be desired as well, but they've got that sort of solidified there. They're much more talented than the Nets. So I think that the the point of difference, and it's not necessarily a strength, it's about you know the matter of perspective, how you look at it. The Nets have more guys and more options uh, and more variation, as you alluded to. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I guess we'll see in game one, two, three, and four.
1: Yeah, and obviously one big hole for the Nets is that backup center spot. You know, if Clax gets in foul trouble, they're relying on Dayron Sharp or DFS at center, and that's going against Joel Embiid, and that obviously is something really concerning with this roster in general. It's been a concern all season long, and now we're going to face Joel Embiid in round one, and it's going to stick out even more. Obviously, maybe Dayron can really step up and bring some level of physicality, but his inconsistency definitely is concerning.
2: Look, an interesting question, Nick, that sort of dictates Oh, It sort of goes into the conversation we were having a little bit, and it's from at mviola24. It says that since the trade, the Nets have had less than 5 to 17 practices, non shoot rounds. Do you believe that this five-day mini camp will unlock something from this group we have not seen before? I'll hang up and listen. Ha-ha. <laughs> um, I think that's an interesting question just to talk about for a little bit. Like, What do we think that the Nets are likely doing? You know, when the media guys get in there, they're taking photos of DFS versus Royce in a, a three-point shooting contest, which is good. You know, you want those guys to be taking D I think DFS three-point.
1: won the last one, so that's important.
2: That is very important, but can that translate to a, a hostile Philly crowd? We'll wait and see. So is there anything that could be happening behind the scenes, Nick, you know, is it more to, to the effect of like, look, going into the video room? Is it more to the effect of, you know, what they're doing out on the court, working on specific sets. So they're working on zone defenses. What could be happening if anything in this extended break?
1: Yeah. You know, I watched the last uh, Brooklyn bridge episode and they had a little bit behind the scenes and it was like a practice or two. And them talking about how all these guys are coming from different defenses and now trying to kind of get them under one and get those same principles. So, I definitely think this, you know, quote unquote, five day mini camp will benefit maybe the Nets more than any other team in the NBA playoffs. Maybe you could look at, you know, the Phoenix Suns who have, you know, Kevin Durant to incorporate. But as we know, that's pretty easy to do. So I think the Nets should be able to improve their defense and have maybe a little bit more cohesion and understanding. And we'll see maybe less of those mental mistakes. I think offensively, you know, maybe there's a couple wrinkles they can add, but I think defensively be more likely for them to feel more cohesive.
2: Yeah, let's go to the guys that are there. Spencer Dimwitty and Jacques Vaughn. A couple of quotes from them in terms of the team overall, defense, offense, etc. Spencer Dimwitty said this, we're going to keep some of our defensive principles in our identity for sure. We have wrinkles for Joel Embiid. Of course, he's the MVP. Why wouldn't you? And then Jacques Vaughn also said about, in terms of adjustments, and when he looks, is he looking forward to making adjustments? He says, I love it. I don't think I've ever hidden the fact that I'm afraid to try things. That fear doesn't exist. It just takes belief in your players. I think we're locked in together and we're going to try to figure out whatever it takes to get a win. And that was the quote that I was alluding to about me sort of being a bit more optimistic. Now, again, it's, you know, saying the right things and then doing the right things. It's sort of like, you know, Ben Simmons was saying all the right things on his return to uh, a a new NBA team, but didn't really do the right things at at the same time. So, look, these words just need to be backed up by both Spencer and uh, Jacques Vaughn in terms of how he controls the team. Yeah, and
1: hopefully those uh, variations and creative things that Jacques Vaughn does are going to be successful and things that we like. You know, we don't want to see him play a ton of undersized guys. We want to see him just incorporate some weird things to confuse Joel Embiid, James Harden, wherever it is, or just keep them guessing. And as Spencer said, you know, again, mentioning the principles and kind of locking on those principles, but also having ways to vary your defense for Joel Embiid and making sure you're connected. I think that's going to be a huge thing, and I think if the Nets are connected – they can play a really high level of defense because of their defensive talent and athleticism.
2: One more quote on what you were speaking about, Joel Embiid, as well as the rotation discussion we were talking about, again, from Jacques Vaughn. He said, it's going to be interesting. This is a team where Embiid proposes such a challenge for us. Such a challenge for us. Nick will have his hands full to start the game. Obviously, it won't just be Nick trying to take that challenge. The best thing about this group is you try to keep them locked in and ready for when their number is called. Usually, you do trim your rotation going to playoffs. No secret about that. But we'll be in a position where I think guys who haven't played will have an impact in this series. Now, read into that what you will.
1: Yeah, and obviously you know, two or three guys that we can mention that haven't really played, you know, Edmund Sumner's and Sumner. his minutes have really varied. Cam Thomas's minutes have really varied. Maybe those are your two guys that get an opportunity to ball out. And I think in a way, you know, Cam last year in the playoffs against Boston he was still dealing with that back issue and he didn't look 100%. So it could be an opportunity where a tough shot maker off the bench could be the difference in winning a game. You know that, I mean, getting back to, um, Going way back when the Nets beat the Raptors in the playoffs in the Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett team, Marcus Storton came off the bench and was able to hit some big shots, and that was the difference in Game 7.
2: It, yeah, there's a, a lot of different things where the Nets can – Throw something there. And I think they're going to need, you know, when we spoke about the X factors on our last episode, those X factors are going to probably be the big thing deciding between winning and losing. They're going to need a, a couple of ticks next to those X factors because as a team that is a lesser, you know, you saw the Hawks against the hate, they out-rebounded them by like 21. That's something you need some tangible statistical thing or an intangible rotation thing, guys going off where to exceed where you are the the lesser team you know when it comes to talent and you you just don't have the the guy sort of there so the nets need to get those x factors going whether it's you know as you alluded to some of those guys or the the starting fiber just really just locked in defensively as we saw in that sixes matchup you know a, a, a couple of months ago so look i'm excited nick the the days are are rapidly getting towards us and Look, I'm, I can't wait. Hopefully the Nets can pull off an upset, but we shall see. It's a, it's going to be a very, very interesting matchup. And I think the Nets have more of a chance than a lot of the pundits and, and bookies think.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, after thinking about it, seeing some of the quotes, uh, my initial prediction was Sixers and five, but now I'm starting to lean more towards Sixers and six. I think there might be an opportunity for the Nets to win two games, you know, if they're able to play up to their standard defensively and just have... Two really good games
2: from three. Yeah, and the Brooklyn Brigade has been invited to Philadelphia, and hopefully Mr. Whammy is there as well. Because if Demar Rosen's daughter can have an effect on a playoff playing game, then we know Mr. Whammy has, and we've spoken yeah. about that. I can't remember if it was me or you or both of us. So if Mr. Whammy's there as well, then the Nets can uh, get a couple of cheap little extra points here and there, and every point matters in the postseason.
1: Yeah, exactly. Obviously, we know last year missed free throws can really come back to bite you.
2: <laughs> now, we'll get to some other general net stuff. Again, thank you for everyone for these questions, including this one from Joe. He said, do you prefer to trade for Lillard, Trey, or Cat type, or stay the course and build through the draft?
1: Yeah, this is a really interesting question, and obviously something we'll really dive deep into when the, rate, when the playoffs are over, but I think uh, this becomes kind of like what is what is your goal? Do you want to be competitive or do you want to rebuild? Because I think if you're going to build through the draft, you're more than likely going to trade Mikel Bridges given his age. And you're going to look to acquire potentially a really high lottery pick and build with that. But if you're looking to keep Mikel and be competitive, maybe acquiring one of those stars makes sense. You know, Trey, in terms of his age, matches up pretty well with this Nets team. Cat, I'm not really into that because of... You know, his lack of defense, a lot of injuries over the course of his career. And I think the Nets have the center position checked off, at least defensively, where, you know, Cat would give you an amazing offensive player. But as we saw in that playing game, he's bad on defense. And I think he's probably one of the worst switching bigs in the league. You know, he just is a guy that gets cooked a lot. And I think Dame... What would make Dame interesting is if you could acquire Dame but still have ammo to acquire another star.
2: You know, because How of, is that possible then? Yeah. Because like what 50-60 million dollar that contract is.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's ascending up and I think what would you you 100% have to get rid of Ben Simmons in that to kind of, you know, you know, take some of that damage from that contract and I think getting Dame would be that all-in thing and now you're trying to compete for a championship within, you know, the next season or two, which I think Is probably not the best idea. I think you can talk me into Trey a lot more, even though I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of his defense. I think the Nets are one of the rare teams that are equipped to maybe deal with some of his deficiencies because of having two Defensive Player of the Year candidates and Mikael and Clax.
2: Yeah, it reminds me of last term I was teaching the, it, my students in the economics unit about trade-offs and opportunity costs. Yep. Now, then, for those that are unaware and were not in my lessons uh, during that part time, it's about what are you going to give up to get something in return. You know, what is the 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 cost of acquiring a cat? We can dismiss that. You know, we know he's postseason basketball and all the other sort of stuff. You know, Nick Claxton's a better player than Carl Anthony Towns in my eyes. Like, I just think he's just a more impactful player. So we don't need I to. I think
1: we're, I think Kat is a more talented player, but you can see how Claxton can fit on a championship team better. And maybe yeah. that's a hot take, but I, I really believe that.
2: And at the center position, I'd rather have a defensive star than an offensive star who plays no defense. Yep. It just, unless you're
1: Embiid or Nicole Jokic
2: <laughs> and Joel Embiid's a very good defensive player. And Nicole yeah. Jokic, for some reason is a stats darling when it comes to defense. It's, it's very weird, but the Lillard trade conversation is an interesting one because I was prepared for, th- for one or two of these questions and sort of thinking about it and consuming all of the, the different takes and Damian Lillard saying, Mikhail Bridges, is one of his favorite players. And I'm like, all right, cool. Well, then Damian Lillard's coming to, to Brooklyn now, but, yeah, and obviously all the Damian Lillard stuff, like, oh, I'm upset. It's like Bradley Beal, like, come on, man. Like, you guys side the the long-term contracts. You can't really, you know, cry spilt milk, you know, when you're you're the one yeah. that sort of caused this situation in, in large way. But Damian, like, just to look at Damian Lillard's season, he was insane. Like, this yeah. might have been Damian Lillard's best season of a very, very, you know, incredible career. He's had great postseason moments, you know, against the, the OKC Thunder a couple of years ago. It does stick out. It's obviously for me, you know, that contract and his age. Does that fit the demographic and profile of the Nets? No, I think he's a better player than Trey Young. I think that's pretty easy to say. I think Trey's had a uh, lackluster year. I think just by his own standards, because he is he has all the talent in the world, and you know he's an incredible playmaker, you know, a, a really good shot creator. And I just think that the Hawks, in general, and he wasn't even great against the Heat either. So I think that. There was a lot of people sort of saying, "Well, would you rather get Dejounte Murray than Trey Young?" And part of me is like, "Yeah, that kind of fit like the sort of profile of what the Nets are right now." You threw Dejounte Murray into what the Nets are doing. You know, his defensive profile, and you know, he's also a really good shot maker. His three point shooting has improved out of sight. You know, uh, uh, compared to the the latter days of San Antonio, where he really started to pick things up. So, I think staying in the trade court-
1: exception too,
2: and that's something to just sort of consider, like the opportunities the trade-offs, the the costs, all those different things. So I think that there are other players or other routes to find success. And unless you are getting like a deal where it's just like, look, we're offloading Trey Young. We don't want to deal with all of his BS. Or Lillard, you know, it's over, mate. Sorry, bud. And he demands a trade out. And, you know, the the Nets get him for, for pennies on the dollar. That's where you go, okay, cool. Let's do this. It's going to be about if the Nets can get... And one of those two guys or someone else for an adequate price, if you're getting him for bugger all and chump change, I'm all in on it. But if the Nets have to give up some of their first that they've acquired in in, in the trades for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and, you know, increased draft capital and throw a Mikhail Bridges or like all these sort of weird trade proposals people are coming up with, then I'm just like, nah, just hang up the phone, Sean.
1: Yeah, it has to make sense. You know what I mean? It has to make sense and it has to lead to a specific goal. And as I mentioned with Dame, the goal would be to win a championship within the next two seasons, most likely given his age and, you know, likely decline given he's a small guard, but obviously a really good shooter. Trey has his question marks and Atlanta could ask for a ton. And as you mentioned, maybe Dejounte Murray would be a better option. There's also going to be guys that pop on the trade market that we're not talking about right now. You know, a bad postseason could change a lot of things for a lot of teams.
2: Yeah, look, Luka Doncic. Look, I'm not saying that Luka Doncic. Um, <laughs> I've seen that photoshopped. Uh, it it looks glorious. <laughs> I've seen it a lot, and uh, I might have saved it in my phone as well for when I, I can use it in the future as well. But look, that that situation well, could Mello be very might be
1: a conversation too.
2: Lamelo as well and like look I I, I think if you are ranking those four or five players we're discussing like Luka Doncic is a transcendent player yep. and if there is any chance an opportunity like the Nets were to keep Dorian Finney-Smith for a little while longer you know that's sort of you know he said that Dorian Finney-Smith is one of his like best mates and he got traded and I, I, he also did approve the Kyrie trade I, I don't want to like twist things up here but look let's just uh, I think patience might be a virtue for a lot of people I know that because the Nets have been training for stars and have the opportunity to do that, given their market, given their credibility as an organization over the last couple of years, credit to Sean Marks for rebuilding that one, as well as uh, some other people behind the scenes. Let's just sort of see. did the, if things make sense and the right package is there, you pull the trigger. If not, don't go above and beyond because we've sort of seen the ramifications of that, whether it's Billy King or even Sean Marks sort of right now, so James Harden and all those different sort of things. So, Let's just see how it pans out, but it's a lovely discussion to have, and I think it's this is only going to be the first time we discuss it. There'll probably be plenty more uh, talking points around this come the postseason, uh, post-postseason, sorry.
1: Yeah, 100%. It's going to be a trending offseason topic, especially if the Nets showcase some really special things in their matchup with Philly.
2: Uh, one final thing. This wasn't a question uh, from Jay from BKLNY. Uh, he said an unpopular opinion for me is the Nets go full rebuild rebuild mode this offseason. If Portland offers Shaden Sharp, their draft pick this year, and other future draft capital for Mikael Bridges. Now, I think it's interesting because the Nets have already been offered four first-round picks to Mikhail Bridges. So I I think that Mikhail Bridges is too good to give up. Am I? Um, maybe I'm drinking the call out a little bit too much. Like and looking at him, I'm just, I just sort of see him in the sort of Brandon Ingram sort of mold, where it's just like this is a guy that you every player, every team wants to have, and if you have it, it's, it's more, it's it has more value than the theoretical value of draft capital, because who knows what a draft could look like in five years' time when LeBron James has like his fourth son or whatever it might be. So I just think that it, it's it, it makes more sense to keep Mikhail.
1: Yeah, I think it would have depend a lot on the draft pick. You know, if it's a top three pick, then maybe you think about it a little bit more, and then Shaden Sharp would be a really good prospect. And I think in that scenario, you would lean in full rebuild, and that would be trading off a lot of your roster. So I think the 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 routes that the Nets could go are drastically different. You know, one simply going north and one simply going south, and they have to make that decision moving forward. I think uh, it would be hard... I think the Nets, based off of Josiah and Sean Marks, that they're probably not going to go the rebuild route right now. I think they'd rather let it play out for a few more years until their draft picks are fully their own.
2: Yeah, that's and, and then one more on this one, Nick, because we got one from at MannyBK88. He asked when it comes to the point guard position, could there be possible trade or dang trade? Obviously, we've been discussing that a little bit. But he asked, who would we lose, and could we keep Michaela Clark through it all? So this is more discussions about the package. and i threw out theoretical things but concrete sort of things could the nets keep mikhail and klax nick in a tray or dame trade
1: there's no point in making a trade for dame or trey if you're not keeping those two you know what i mean just because they're two you're arguably your two best players you know they are your two best players i
2: i I honestly like look spencer's great but klax is just uh, there's just something about klax
1: klax is awesome i mean we're very biased towards clacks he's our brooklyn buzz favorite and he's just awesome in that last bridge episode was awesome to see you know him and his growth and the work that he's put in to become the player he is so if you're trading for those guys it's because you're trying to compete not because you're just looking to add
2: a star to this team no exactly so i, I think the package you know would sort of center around draft capital cam johnson you know, does ben uh, maybe simmons...
1: not even cam johnson it might just be cam thomas draft capital and maybe ben simmons contract as a filler i think trey is a little bit harder to acquire because of his age where dame is you, you you have to address the contract you know what i mean i think that's hurting his trade value a touch when that that 60 million kicks in there's no way around it
2: no that's sort of a negative value but ben simmons is a negative value yeah so you probably have to throw in an extra first for the the compensation of taking on ben simmons so like but you know,
1: that'll only be if you trade him in the offseason, only have essentially two years left on his deal where dame is under contract into 26 27 at 63 million
2: yeah it's uh, it's a lot so it's about sort of balancing those things you know, you know what is portland willing to do at atlanta because we've i've heard many rumblings around ben simmons with atlanta as well so they initially look, I-
1: did have interest yeah
2: yeah, so there's there's different things, and obviously, I think Ben Simmons is the worst contract and the, the biggest negative trade asset in the NBA right now. But you know, we've heard of things from his agent that I discussed on, on a buzz as well. So it's something to consider. And I think that look, it's DFS in it, it's Royce O'Neal in it, you know, Cam Thomas, all these sort of guys. Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie. Uh, I think uh, there is a way to form a package around you know for one of those stars and keep Mikhail and Claxton. If that is the case. Yeah, you, you maybe do pull the trigger. It's about the the level of draft compensation, you know, not to get all nitty-gritty and analytical about it. That's not necessarily my style, but what are the protections on those picks? You know, what years are they in, you know? are and they what picks
1: of, are they? Because there's so
2: many. Exactly. You know, are they via Phoenix? Are they via Dallas? Are they the Nets owned? Are they Houston? Like, yeah, there's just a lot of things to sort of consider. But I think that they're just to, to, to wrap it up around this conversation. There is a way to do it like yeah I, I think that that might be like okay cool like let's just end the podcast now done but are other teams willing to do it as well like it takes two to tango it's as simple yeah. and sometimes it takes three or four to tango uh, when it comes to a lot of these really crazy trades star trades so it can happen will it happen let's see and as you mentioned
1: the demand makes a big difference you know if someone's demanding a trade to brooklyn now you have a little bit of leverage in the negotiations, especially if they're saying we're only going to X, Y, and Z, and we have the best package to offer.
2: Exactly. You know, it's it's. Let's look back to our own. Where Kevin Durant demanded the trade, and he demanded it to Phoenix, but he didn't demand it publicly that second time, which allowed the Nets and Phoenix to do business in a in a pretty sort of respectful way. And <laughs> I think a package, good faith, exactly, and and. Look, we'll see. I'm sure the Nets are going to continue to be in these sort of rumors. And it's always fun podcast chat as well. I really enjoy discussing this as well. But in terms of more team stuff, Nick, we got a question from Hassan at Hassan Iman, 17. Great listener. Always giving us plenty of support. I appreciate everyone for the questions. He said, all of us Nets fans have been begging for a backup point guard and a backup big. Should the Nets go after vets to fill these needs or draft them? Uh, now, let's just go to straight to DeMarcus Cousins, who is the third best big <laughs> in the NBA. No, I'm, I'm joking, Nick.
1: What a ridiculous comment. I mean, really. Like, you were just a backup center in the NBA, and you were not even necessarily getting consistent minutes, and you're trying to say you're the third best big. It's He's just bam, like... Bam,
2: He's better than Clacks. He's better than Brook Lopez. He's better than DeMontis Sabonis. I'm just like, uh, come on, Boogie. Like, like that's... To quote many 15 year olds and James Harden, that's cap.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's cap. Um, in terms of the question from Hassan, though, uh, I think it really, really is dictated by what the Nets are looking to do next season or the next two seasons. You know, if they're not necessarily swinging for a star this summer, then I think, you know, looking to acquire a, a point guard in a big through the draft makes a lot of sense. And you could argue that might make a lot of sense even if they're looking to compete if the, if those picks aren't used in a trade. But I think if it's hard to anticipate a rookie being good. Most rookies aren't good their first season, so you are you can't really bank on someone having an impact from the draft.
2: Yeah, it's about the nature of the, the rookie. You know, how many years of experience have they had at college, or are they yep. one and done? So, like, look, Mikhail Bridges, you know, and, and Cam Johnson are guys that have sort of been, only been in the league for four or five years, but, you know, they've been able to impact pretty quickly because of the nature. And, you know, Older with the Nakes. Na- Exactly, and with with the nature of the picks that the Nets are going to have at 21 and 22, you know, are you going to get a ready-made guy? You know, you know, your Jared Allen was sort of around that range, your Caris was sort of around that range. Those guys took a little while to develop, and you know, but the, what the what are the backups out there? You know, names that come to mind, I can't really necessarily think about them. You know, obviously there's plenty of guys overseas, and and there's a few guys here and there probably in situations that they don't want to be in, but you know. The guy that just always springs to mind as just being like just the ultimate backup guard is like DeLon Rice. You know, I think mm. we've discussed him on plenty of pods and look, I know I have no idea what his contract status is. I know he had a pretty good season in Washington, but that sort of mold of player, you know, you're sort of DeLon Rice, Emmanuel Quickly, Malcolm Brogdon, the sort of guys, your Tyus Jones. That's like the the mold of, of guard that if, if the Nets do want. And if the Nets were to keep Spencer Dimwitty, the combination of Spencer and that high-end backup guard is almost equal to like a, a fringe all-star sort of guard player. You know, you, you don't necessarily need to have a superstar guard and like a, a Trae Young and a Spencer Dewan. If you do have those, cool. But it also allows you to just be a bit more maneuverable with the, the assets that you do have. And in terms of the big, look... I honestly think that Darren Sharp could continue to develop into that. I I might be, again, drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit too much about that, but we've seen really positive glimpses from him. And I don't think you're going to... I think that the backup big position might be the least important position. I know it's been incredibly frustrating seeing know, have to do so much and have such a high burden. But if the Nets were to get another high-end big wing, I would rather prefer that than getting like a fringe big. You know, you can maybe... Yeah, they've they've tried, you know, the Moses Brown and you know the New Orleans Noel those sort of types. Maybe you give New Orleans Noel another go because I don't know I, I thought that you know maybe an off season for him and 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 that could be okay. you, you put those guys at like ten to twelve in the rotation. I'd, I'd rather sort of go for more quality over positional type.
1: Yeah, I think um backup center is probably one of the easiest positions to acquire, which makes it the most frustrating that Sean Marks hasn't necessarily done that for the Nets. But like you said, you know, if you're able to uh acquire a really good four you know maybe he becomes your backup five and you know him and Clax are kind of sharing minutes on the break gray
2: nick rayquan gray <laughs> he looked pretty good i'm not gonna look uh, look i'm always just i think you could two- get the two-way next year so he already got the two-way for like the rest of the year so give him yeah. the other two way and now the ddj is- hopefully has his contract sort of converted so look i would rather dayron sharp and rayquan gray be our sort of backup bigs-ish types and give them some opportunities, then you know Moses Brown, these sort of guys, and giving them genuine chances and you know, a full-off season again for both of those guys, especially Darren Sharp, who knows what they can do because it was a breakout year for Nick Claxton in his sort of second year in terms of how he showed a few things, Jared Allen, these sort of guys. It takes the bigs a little bit longer. And both of us had sort of soured a little bit on Darren Sharp, but what he's shown us shown us of late. Show that he can be maybe a quality rotation big, especially the backup position. He might be the perfect prototype of that. Has a really high-end skill. Is developing defensively. Has some savvy skills as a passer. Really good screener. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a, a lot of tangible things there where it's just like I'd rather have that than like what Hassan Whiteside or whoever else might be sort of out there or Demarcus Cousins.
1: Yeah, I think the counter argument would be, you know, if you're able to diversify and add a stretch big, that would be something that I think would be interesting given, you know, some of the Nets limited offensive um, talent, you know, that could really open some things up as they've gone small before. But again, that'll be something I think we really dive deep to dive into in the offseason because we'll be able to kind of really break down the free agent list. And as I've glanced at them a couple of times, I haven't necessarily dove into you know, player 35 or 50 on that list.
2: Don't worry. Nick's got the spreadsheets there. They're coming together, guys. They're coming together. <laughs> we just got the spreadsheets and Google docs for the playoffs first. Yeah. There plenty of stuff. That you should see that. It's uh, it's a little bit messy, but um, a final one, Nick from Corey to another really big supporter of the show. Thank you everyone to uh, who has uh, responded to this. It's been a, a, a nice little episode for us. He asked Nick and Jack, I'd be curious about the positives you've taken from the regular season about the absolute after the absolute mess at the trade deadline and prior. Even beyond clax, which you should include, <laughs> I like how he says even beyond clax, because he knows we're gonna say that first. Um, yeah. what has surprised you in a positive way?
1: Yeah, you know, we could talk about clax for another hour. So I'm not even gonna really jump into that. If you listen to any recap, you know how much we've appreciated his growth and talking about it. even in our, I think our one of our final recaps, we really dove into him. But I think Mikel Bridges, you know, is a huge positive. It, it, You know, we thought he could take a jump, but he's taken a way bigger jump than I think... Have you been
2: surprised, Nick, like, in in, in all honesty? Because, like, I'll happily say... Yeah, I have as well. I have as well.
1: I mean, I think... I thought, like, the first week, yeah, he just got traded. He's, you know, he's shooting. He's hot right now. But he... The way that he was able to score in games where he wasn't shooting well was the most impressive thing. And I think just... The, even the growth in, I don't know what he played for the Nets, 27 games, the growth we saw in the 27 games he played in the Nets uniform was huge. And just him getting more comfortable in the role and even watching him being able to read defensive coverages differently in game 20 than he was in game five with the nets because of the different adjustments he's had to make and I think also I've been really really happy and not to say I didn't know anything about Mikel Bridges but I really didn't know he was like this great of a character guy like he is an awesome player to have in your organization your locker room and to help build a team and as you mentioned with Dame Lillard he's one of his favorite players and it's not just because of on the court it's just because the guy has great vibes.
2: Yeah, it's weird. Like Phoenix Suns fans, like I, because of the the new for you, you know, timeline on Twitter, I get so many like Mikhail Bridges, yep. t- like, uh, like X sort of you know, tweets, like oh, I miss him, I miss him in Cam, I miss that, and it's just like you guys got Kevin Durant, and it's just like, well, that's like how how endearing and how awesome mikhail bridges and cam johnson are like individually and together so look i think the mikhail sustainability has surprised me in in the best way because that's that changes the trajectory of the organization but then you know the the cam thomas explosions you know i yep. I, I knew he was good i knew he had this in him but to do it in a way where it's just like 340 pieces and like be historical forty
1: pieces since february <laughs>
2: Yeah, and just be like, okay, he's got the most 40 pieces in a Nets uniform. He's got the most, you know, over a, this sort of time span. You know, he's got the most, you know, and in, like since LeBron James, all these sort of guys, just like that's crazy shit. And it's it's just fun. And, and while some within the Nerf organization might not appreciate it, I do. I just like guys that have talent and, and young guys who have insane amounts of talent that, you know, are raw and can be molded into to something pretty special. So the Cam Thomas stuff has been, you know, something to, to really sort of. And really enjoy along the way i sort of alluded to a little bit david sharps you know little mini glimpses of, of of growth and genuine production as a backup big man you know I, i'd written him off you know at the start of the year you know some of those games against like the, the the milwaukee bucks and stuff it's just like this guy doesn't look like an nba player but you know full credit to him it's whether it's like you know, Sean Mark signing some of those 10 day bigs. This was a, a bit of a, a, a kick up the bum, but like in saying that, like he has been great. Like he really has. And there's, been defensive sequences we've seen from him he has like the best offensive rebounding percentage of all time according to zach Lowe. like that's been something really fun to see and uh, there's something about like as i was alluding to with cam thomas like young guys producing for that you drafted the sort of homegrown sort of thing it's really positive to see so that sticks out to me as well to a lesser extent cam johnson and some of the you know we sort of spoke about this yeah, the the flashes, the the things around Mikael Bridges are wholly sustainable and like insane. But Cam Johnson has shown more than what I saw from him in Phoenix. Like he is a three to four option. Uh- A Kyle Kuzma type. Sorry, we didn't uh, discuss the (laughs) Kyle Kuzma Spencer Dimwini beef on the pod, guys. No one asked us to. And I don't want to spend 40 million times reading a seven tweet thread from Kyle Kuzma. But in saying that. He
1: probably didn't
2: read himself. But in in saying that, like, I I genuinely think Cam Johnson can be that. Like, you know, defensively, he's shown a little bit. And, you know, his offensive game, I think he's continuing to improve. So there's a lot to take from what has been a a rollercoaster of a year positive, negative, everything in between. But those things do stick out. And there's probably a a lot more that I'm not even you know, thinking off the top of my head, these are the things that are just there immediately. If I could dive really deep into the roster, I could go, hey man, Edmund Sumner coming off an Achilles injury. Yeah. You two, what's Anabe turning himself into an NBA player? There's so much to be grateful for as a Nets fan. And and maybe it's just because it's like a, a nice morning here in Melbourne. You know, it's my holidays. I'm in that sort of positive mindset. Uh, come game one, you know, the Nets get blown out by 30. I could be saying like, I hate the Nets. supply short Marks, get rid of Josiah. The team's going to go to Seattle. But as this point now, Nick, I'm pretty happy and I like the Nets.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's good vibes. Like you said, we've had the week off to kind of just kind of digest things and look forward to the series. I also want to give a shout out to Royce O'Neal, who I thought really adjusted well to his role post-trade deadline. You know, he could easily have been pissed off that he was no longer a starter, but he came in and he was an awesome sixth man for this team. Um, I think, as you mentioned, you know, Edmund Sumner coming off that Achilles and really proving that he's still in the NBA and I think will be even better next season. Uh, Watanabe becoming for the first half of the season, one of the best three-point shooters in the league, was kind of awesome. Um, Spencer rejoining the Nets, and it's been up and down, but still his playmaking has been like he's averaging nine assists in a Nets uniform.
2: Best playmaker he, since the deadline, I think it is.
1: Yeah, and he had the all-time month record for the Nets in assists, so like, that's pretty cool stuff. And I mean, it's just like these little things that you take for granted. And obviously it's different than what the last two or three seasons have been with the superstars, but there's different things to appreciate and be positive about. And also Joe Harris actually being able to knock down threes again is cool too.
2: Yeah, definitely. And and hopefully all of those guys we alluded to can bring some of that form and some of that positive, the vibes. Hopefully they listen to the end of this episode. You don't need to listen to any of the other stuff, guys. Listen to the positive vibes from Nick and Nick and myself and, you know, take that good juju into, you know, game one against the Sixers and hopefully take them down with a bit of an upset.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping for that upset. Um, I, I feel like there's a, a decent shot for them to win game one. I think it'll be easier than winning game two and we'll see what happens in the series. But Jack, any final thoughts we get out of here?
2: Nah, let's just go Nets. Go Nets. Go
1: Nets. And big thanks to everybody for listening to this episode. And big thanks to everybody for listening all season long. And check the buzz on all stream platforms.